Hey Gems, welcome back to the show. Let's not waste any time and jump straight into the topic. Welcome to the show. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, thank you very much for having me. I am Stephanie Johnson, behavioral health consultant and mental health coach. Um, Also intuitive, I might want to add that in there. Um, uh, At NaviPsych, my company, which is a behavioral health consulting and mental health coaching company that I started um, back in 2014 um, out of some organic experiences I was having, but essentially in this service that I provide, I provide numerous things, but um, in a nutshell, I help nav- people navigate the mental health care process and procedure, as well as navigate themselves a little bit to get down to what the court is in, in my consultations um, to help them match with a mental health professional that best fits their needs. Um, and also working with people on an individual basis to help them get through to their true selves and build up the self-development that they may have been kind of slowly but surely doing um, over their lifetime, but getting to the point where they're feeling stuck and getting them out of that stuck place by going back to kind of the basics of their hierarchy of needs, their, you know, injuries along the way and helping recognize where those are and how to build from there to fulfill themselves in their present and in future endeavors. I absolutely love it. I think that this conversation is going to be right up the alley of our listeners. And I just love the men- that you mentioned, you know, navigating not only the process of, of finding a therapist and not just anyone, someone who's actually going to be a good fit for you because, you know, that's going to indicate greater work done together, um, but also navigating yourself, right? So, so yourself in that process um, and, and what you have control over and what you don't. And so, you know, you mentioned some organic experiences that led you to being where you are and doing this work. I think it's so key to recognize the piece on psychoeducation. So what were you seeing as far as maybe people not having Mm -hmm. um, a certain level of baseline understanding of what the process looks like or what they should be looking out for, questions to ask and whatnot? Like, why do you think psychoeducation is so important? So I think, so first, right, we have to kind of break down psychoeducation because we're in the field we know psychoeducation to mean the information about diagnoses, disorders, um, kind of like what these background details are as it relates to symptoms and all of those things, right? Even sometimes medication management goes along the lines of psychoeducation. However, when we think about it to the public, like to the general public, for them in kind of lay terms, it means kind of everything that's under the umbrella of mental health, psychology, psychiatry, like what all of this really is. And so I kind of play this duality. And my training is in clinical psych, that's what my master's is in. I spent over 10 years in clinical research as a clinical research coordinator um, in psychiatry at a local hospital. And I worked on an inpatient unit, um, psychiatry inpatient unit, and in an outpatient setting, working with multidiscipline teams of psychiatrists, psych residents, psychologists, psych interns, postdocs, master's level clinicians, the whole works. And what I noticed was that 
so many people had different definitions of what they thought they needed help for. Mm. Um, in my mm. work as a clinical research coordinator, I had to interview patients on units as well as their families. And a lot of times this work required me to kind of go outside of that role and do some de-escalation and <laughs> some education about not only the process within the hospital, the process of my study, but the, also the process that they were going through now having a loved one in the hospital, either doing recovery treatment from some relapse of a disorder or an onset of a new disorder, typically in the severe mental illness range. So what I noticed was that, of course, people had stigma about what it all meant when they came in. Some people, no matter how long they had, had experienced a loved one with a diagnosis or with these symptoms, never quite understood that this was like out of their control it was involuntary stuff happening, that there is hope after diagnosis, all of that. So I also noticed that people were telling me they were going to get help. So we hear a lot that people don't go get help. They don't want help or, you know, they won't come back or they disengage. They just don't, you know, they don't want. And the healthcare system projects this idea onto its patients and their families like, well, we're doing all that we can do, right? In actuality, that's not true. What I noticed working in that setting is that a lot of the stigma came from healthcare professionals with these preconceived notions based on past experience, which is right with what we're not supposed to do, right? But also that that would be the very reason that people would disengage, that they weren't feeling heard, they weren't feeling seen, and when they did show up for help, or did make the calls and do everything that we asked them to do as professionals to seek help early, they were getting lost in, in the crevices of the system and they were not getting the help when they showed up to get the help. So, and, or they were, they went to services, received some services and those services were not right for what that person was going through. And they typically worsened. So in the midst of being a clinical research coordinator, I started to do this work myself and helping educate people, helping to tell people like, look, say this when you call 911. Say this when you call Christ mobile crisis. Say this when you come into emergency triage or when you re-engage with the clinical service provider, say exactly what's been going on. Do not leave anything out. Just that little bit of information would not only empower the person to be like, oh, I never even knew I could do that, but also help them get further in the system to meet their goal of getting the help that they needed from the professionals and the systems that needed to treat them or help them in whatever way they needed. And I just kept doing that, but it kept staying in the back of my mind. And literally one day at church, I kept writing things down and I said, okay, show me how to do this work in a better way. And literally sitting in church one Sunday, the name Navisite came to me and I was like, okay. I wrote it down, kept it in my purse for like two years. And then eventually when a study ended up not getting renewed, I went ahead and put some legwork into developing Navisite and didn't actually establish it as a business until a year later. And then it wasn't really until 2020 that the business took off because of the pandemic. Wow. Okay. What a story. Oh my goodness. I love it. Um, so, you know, you mentioned something that leads to one of the questions uh, that I wanted to make sure that we touched on was, you know, our clients, 
at any level in control of their services or what control do they have or influence do they have because I think a lot of the time people would think that either it's like if you start going down the path like you're relinquishing you know like your rights or you're relinquishing right. any influence or power that you have when you start working with somebody and maybe that's not completely true maybe it's not black and white but that there are some you know some um some places where a client is empowered to make certain choices about the services that they receive and so you know with that being said you kind of hit on it a little bit but what do you think clients are empowered to have control over in their process of getting services? You have control of your story, point blank period. Control over who you get to talk to is essentially how ready are you to share hmm. the depths of your story to make sure that the provider you meet is the one that can really help you based on what you already know. There is always the stuff at the surface that is what's bothering you. <laughs> but there's always something underneath the surface where all of that stems from. Now, do we expect clients to go through all these searches and processes of self-discovery? No, that's what we're here for. But in order to get there, what I do in my consultations is offer space for people to feel safe, to share their story in a vulnerable and honest way so that I can hear where that core is. And I think sometimes based on our training, we get into the mode of fixing, right? As the professional, we enter the first session and we're like, yes, got a client, let's fix them. Some of them operate from that place. Some people operate from, let me just hear where you go. But sometimes what happens in this uh, what gets lost in that translation is the fear that people have when they start to go into this painful place, this hurtful place, this traumatic place, or this confusing place, right? And what this provider thinks they're supposed to do because the person is there. And sometimes those lines get crossed. And it takes a lot of experience to know to step back kind of wait and, and really listen for where someone is going and know it's okay for you to say, okay, I want to pause and make sure I'm the person that you need to be with. What I'm hearing from you is this, or for that client saying, I noticed that these things have come up for me since I was 16. I've gone to providers. I'm not sure. Can you help me wa know why this is coming up so much and it keeps repeating itself? Right. So the power is and, and the power that clients have or the people who are seeking help have is to know that the person on the other side needs their story from a very genuine place. And that place is safe once you enter that environment. Right. That's what that environment is for. And then there's the patience that it takes to make sure that when you share your story, the person you're with can actually help you un un unveil that story, un unlayer that story so that they can help guide through the, the recovery process or whatever that help that helping journey will be, you know, for that client. I love that you mentioned kind of like that unlayering, right? Because I think for a client sometimes they, they, that's how our brains work to some extent. Well, I'm going to give them layers until I trust them enough to give them all of mm -hmm. it. 
but right. that actually is counterintuitive in some way, shape, and form because uh, when you go to the doctor, right? If you're going to the doctor and you have symptoms, you don't go to the doctor, hopefully, and not tell them as much as you could possibly tell them so that they can match you with the proper diagnosis for the proper treatment. So if we go to the doctor and we're like, I'm just going to tell them little right. bits and pieces of what's going on until I feel like right. they're, they're able to handle it. Now, obviously, we're talking about very deep emotional experiences, traumatic experiences, grief and loss, like just very deep right. things. So that's understood. However, if the point is for you to get services to be able to maneuver through that, manage it, heal from it, whatever the case may be, then while therapists are great, none of them is a mind reader. <laughs> so so right. there's not going to be a therapist that's going to be able to predict completely what it is that you're dealing with or going through um, without you coming to the table with your story. So I think that kind of leads into the next question as far as like what therapy is and what therapy isn't because the therapist is coming with their expertise and how to help you manage and maneuver. You're coming with the expertise in your story, like you mentioned. So you bring your story and the therapist brings their knowledge and experience and expertise for you to collaboratively be able to get on a plan to help you deal with those things. So, you know, for you, how is it that you explain as as basically as you po- possibly can what therapy is and what therapy is not? What I like to do with my clients is, is tell them, you know, therapy, and there's first, there's so many words that represent therapy that I wish my profession would just pick one. First of all, (laughs) because that's part of it. There's counseling, there's therapy, there's coaching, there's all these terms. There's psychotherapy. First, the therapeutic process is to allow oneself to enter into a safe space where someone who is trained in the skill set of therapeutic communication can help them. And sometimes, depending on the client, I have to kind of gauge how far, how deep I go. But for the sake of this conversation, I just have to be very clear that therapy is not just a conversation, right? It feels like one, but it involves scientific theory. It involves the excavation of emotion that you are not aware of. It involves feeling and sensing in one's body. It is in a way that's un- that's not healthy or helpful. The conversation that happens is the mechanism and the conduit to get to the energy, to get to the feeling, to get to the emotion, to get to the patterns that all that makes up all of what we see before us when we we're in the room and people have to know that I've had some clients to say, you know, I just kind of felt like I was just having a conversation like with my girlfriend. And I'm like, was it any movement in it? (laughs) Like, was there something happening in that conversation? Did you come away feeling lighter or feeling different in your body or not having the same pervasive thoughts? And like, no, or there may be like, yes. And I'm like, well, that's your clue, right? To now ask yourself, what am I bringing to this conversation? What I need so that it feels like there's some work being done. And how, and, and then I also coach people through 
how to ask questions of their therapist so that they can let their therapist know they're looking for more. They want more and they want to work more with them and build that relationship so that they can really feel like they're doing work. It's kind of like when you go to the gym and you know you have, you, you've been doing the same thing over and over to the point you're not sweating anymore. Like that part, that means it's time to work harder. <laughs> it's time to work deeper. It's time to work a different part of yourself because you have gotten to the point of tolerance, right? And that's the part that people have to understand that therapy is supposed to feel like something is happening and that it's supposed to feel like that. When you feel the pain come up, that's what's supposed to happen. But it's happening, it should happen in a way that makes you feel like it's for a purpose, that you're getting somewhere. It is not just a conversation. It is not um, just, a, just a sounding board, right? It's not where you just go dump on the therapist. It's, it may happen, but it's not just a dump. <laughs> Some processes work like that, but what are you retrieving from the dump, right? What are you allowing to happen after the dump is the point, right? That is the inner workings of therapy. And that sometimes it doesn't take as long as you think it might. It doesn't, and it sometimes it's not going to be as short. It's a process, right? So that's what I think. The way you put it is just so, it makes so much sense. And you said it so eloquently. I'm like, can you just record a video so I could put that on my website? <laughs> no, I just think that, and I feel like this is like general information that everyone should have as far as, you know, the things that we don't learn in school, unfortunately, right. <laughs> like things right. like, you know, <laughs> listen, how, how to, how to just like be well as a human, like how important mental yeah. health and, and um, wellness is. But I think that what you said breaks down some of the barriers around the myths and misunderstandings. Were you going to say something? I want to hear it. Well, I just was going to add to that. What we are seeing right now to that end of what you said, like what we don't learn in school, what we don't, what we're not even taught as professionals is that we are our information is segmented and it feels like everybody is in competition to get to this perfected place of all knowing so that people can do life easier hmm. and that's just not reality um i spend a lot of time thinking about that if people just had information growing up or at some point understood that human behavior is complex. Everything mm -hmm. that we encounter and do from literally being a baby up to the point where you call me for helping you find a therapist, all is involved in the process that you will go through in that room, all of it, because it shapes the behaviors and the patterns that we use to survive. And if people really understand that starts with how your brain develops from a, from a baby to the emotional revelations that happen inside of a child as the child develops, that there is this psychosocial process that we don't have a layman's term for, but 
it it pay attention to what you say and do in front of kids because they they will learn it like that is what we're dealing with right and so if people understood that our work is not just dealing with what you came in the room with right now but yeah it's about everything that's before because it informs it informs what your mind your brain your body your spirit is doing every single day throughout every day and that is what makes it a process and why it no it's not going to fix itself if you just don't pay attention to it hmm. no it's not going to help for you to just go to every single coach's page or professional page and kind of do this and do that a little bit of this a little bit of that no all you're doing is just compounding it <laughs> right i'm sorry but that's that's something that i'm seeing a lot of that i wish people would just pause and step back before they attack their their themselves to the point where they get debilitated and they don't know what to do right like that's like this is about our humanness. Mm -hmm. And if we can really in encourage people to practice life from just being thoughtful about being a human and mm -hmm. everything that impacts it, that maybe we can get a little bit further with understanding how to help ourselves as well as each other, because that is what we don't always have enough in our toolkits to help with, mm -hmm. right? Like that's kind of the, the thing is that the pandemic showed us that we have a lot that was just going on mm. and we weren't paying attention mm. to it. Hmm. So now we are left here <laughs> to deal with it in its crisis state. When eventually, when actually that's preventable. You're dropping gems, y'all. If you haven't been taking notes, <laughs> if you haven't been listening, you might have to listen to this twice because it was potent what she's been sharing. And it's so true, I think, especially with obviously recent um recent events with the pandemic and just so many different things kind of co-occurring <laughs> happening all at the right. same time that really showed people like oh like my toolkit is a little shabby because the things that I used to yeah. do are not hitting the same as they used to um, um and I just think that the things that were highlighted in the last year or so were things that were already there um, yeah. that, like you mentioned, people were not paying attention to, right? You have to pay attention right. with your time, right. your energy, your effort, or your money, right? So right. being able to invest in yourself, what does that look like for you? And thankfully, there's different levels of um, opportunities to receive services, uh, and right. it doesn't have to necessarily um, be at a... a debilitating I'll say right a debilitating investment to you but you must invest time right. energy effort you know and and or money in order to to see progress in those places you know right and really when you think about it I mean some of what we endure you know and what we're exposed through just through our senses doesn't cost us anything to control or to eliminate or to manage like if you're like, we are inundated with violence in, in this country, it, it impacts us. It makes us hypervigilant. No, it makes us paranoid. It makes us feel like we're not safe. And so then we, we're always on the offensive or we're always kind of on edge. And just that alone, just reducing that exposure alone can shift mindset 
significantly. Those are the type of things that you don't necessarily need to pay a therapist for. Manage what is within your consumption as it pertains to your psychological well-being. And this is something that when I'm in consult consultations with people and I'm listening to kind of what their daily life is or what kind of things are exacerbating that core stuff that has, hasn't been resolved, I have to be honest with them in a place of, vulner of gentle um, vulnerability and say, these are the things that could be making this worse for you. How can you reduce this? What is, what is in your purview to help you eliminate some of this stuff so that when you start your healing journey, you're not tackling and managing what is impacting your ability to hear and see and feel for yourself? Because that can easily get blocked in this process of when people are seeking help and to trust their process. You can't compare processes, right? You can't compare processes. Your process is your process. And it is because your story is your story. Your history is your history. So nobody else's process is going to function the same as your healing journey. That is like, the most empowering thing people can do for themselves when they're thinking about even going into a healing journey process, right? With a therapist is I have to own what is mine and that I'm doing this out of an act of love for myself to get to the place where I want to be because that's it. <laughs> it's the best way to impact the behavior that we do involving each other is to first deal with our own and then it'll ripple, right? That's just what happens. It, it shifts things. Yes, I love it. So I would love to hear about more about what that process of consultation looks like with you okay. and then where everyone can find you if they you know, want to get connected, learn more, um, and potentially book a, a time or an opportunity to, to work with you in finding services. So for you or for a client, what would they expect? What does that process look like? Um, so, um, I'd say the consultations are in depth and I will, and I've often described it as kind of like a triage process or intake process to a certain degree. Um, when I am consulting a client, like I said, my background is in clinical psych. So I am listening for, um, what people don't say, right? I hear everything. I listen carefully to the presenting thing that people are coming to me for or the primary concern as we may call it. Um, and then I gather information from there. I will say, as I introduce in my, myself, um, I'm a bit of an intuitive. So some of my consultation is really listening from that place of intuition and clinical judgment, as well as knowledge base and expertise in where my training meets my spirit meets my psychology, right? And in that consultation, I'm really trying to get down to the core of what these prime, where, the, where is the mechanism that is, is turning all of these behaviors or feelings or whatever is happening that is becoming uncomfortable or making you feel stuck or you know, is, is leading to some, you know, things that may actually be symptoms. 
And once I get that information, typically the consultations take about an hour. Sometimes they can take a little longer, but typically within an hour, um, I can get to that core. And from there, I explain what my thoughts are about these things that are happening. And, you know, typically people, it resonates that people will recognize that, yeah, this thing has been with me for quite some time. And it is, that's the place where I, I encourage them to start their process and begin working through things. Um, and I also manage things like anxiety triggers, um, traumatic response triggers. Um, I have had times where I've had to stop and pause and, and this has happened, you know, I attend to what is happening right there, you know, in, in the virtual space. Um, so that sometimes it's a matter of attending to a trauma response that someone has been triggered and they're highly emotional or I can see the anxiety building building in them. I can hear it in their voice. And so I do, you know, mindfulness techniques, de-escalation techniques, um, you know, grounding techniques in those cases where the, the conversation itself can be too much. Um, but then once they have come to a place of calm and we have those moments, then we move into talking about well, what my process is, where I search for therapists for them or mental health professionals that have the specific toolkits that match what they need. I interview those therapists if I can get them on the phone. <laughs> I, match, I, get, I interview the therapist on their behalf and let them know that this is the work that I'm doing on behalf of the client and ultimately check for things like, you know, if they're taking new clients, if they take insurance, what their current rates are, what their process is, even as far as how do they have virtual sessions? Is it HIPAA compliant? Is it confidential? You know, all of those safety, you know, mechanisms that need to be in place. And if there is a good match, then I make sure I make recommendations to the client. The client consults with that professional. And if they, you know, indeed match, then they go on with that professional and follow whatever their scheduling and intake process is from there. Um, and I enjoy doing that work because it does pull me back kind of into that clinical space. Um, and I often get really good results for people from that, from that perspective. Um, and when I work from the coaching space, I work um, from, like I said, a self-development space where I focus on the hierarchy of needs and really listening for where injuries along meeting those needs have occurred and building people up from that place. So that really these short-term goals are really about how, how much you are aware of these spaces in yourself where there may still need to be some maturation or some growth and some development. And then as you go through that process, you test how you're gonna use these things to your benefit in your present. And for me, my coaching process is very organic. Um, I really enjoy working pe with people as they have epiphany and transition and move through um, their own discovery. And so it's not as um, orchestrated as some maybe where they're structured and there's so many sessions. It really is how far does this person need to go from where they are? And typically I can say it takes them, you know, six to eight weeks, but I don't go in thinking that, you know, I allow people the room to, to transition as they are, but usually these things happen pretty, pretty quickly for folks um, working in that way. 
I love it. Oh my goodness. And I, you know, I just have to express gratitude and appreciate you for the work that you do because oh. I think that you know, whatever helps for more people to get matched with the right services, not just any services, but right. the right services for where they are and where they want to go is so necessary. Um, I don't want to say more than ever because people always need support. People always need, right. people always need, need help. Support, right? um, but I think it's really important. And I, I just truly appreciate that, you know, you found this as your area of impact and, and seek to fill that area and what is a huge void, to be honest. And so um, mm -hmm. thank you for that. I would love for you to let us know where everyone can find you, where they can, you know, tell a friend, tell a sister, a cousin, a partner, a child or whatever about what you do. Um, so people can find me at www.navisych, N-A-V-I-P-S-Y-C-H.com. And I'm also on Instagram at navisych is my handle. Um, those are the spaces where I spend the most time. <laughs> I'm not really on other spaces just yet. I'm trying to find my way to Clubhouse, but you'll see how that goes. But yeah, those are the best ways to find me. And if anyone is interested in booking a session, um, the best way is to go to the website and go to the mental health professional matching um, page and book a session there. Um, the sessions, I will say, are um, $125 for the consultation, which I said is an hour, and then the matching service is $90. Y'all, if you feel pulled, called, you know, some, some voice inside of you is like, hmm, maybe it's time. Maybe I should like, that's what you need to be following. Okay. That's what you need to be essentially listening to, right? There's a saying that goes, listen to your body when it whispers. So you don't have to hear yes. it scream. So if you're yeah. feeling a little some, some, this might be it. This might be the sign. If you're looking <laughs> for a sign, this is, this is it very plainly. Um, right. and, and take advantage of the opportunity for yourself to be supported. No one has to be the strong person. No one has to be the person that holds the weight for everyone else. And if you are that person for whatever circumstance, know that you can be that person and still have the support from somewhere else. It may not just, it may not come from where you think it's supposed to, but it's there for you. So I would highly suggest reaching out, getting the information, booking yourself a, booking yourself a consultation. Okay. Um, right. because now, um, is better than later period. Right. <laughs> and just remember people like, if you are having those thoughts, should you, the answer is yes. You know, even if you don't come to me because I'm one person, go to somebody, find the means to, you know, if, if you are someone who loves your coffee, like I do, or you spend and splurge, whatever, listen, like therapy is one of those things that is a part of our healthcare. And if we spend however much money on coaches and business coaches and Whatever else to make ourselves look good on the outside, we have to stop and know we should do the same to make ourselves feel good on the inside. Because all of that will be fine, but it will implode on you if you are not already feeling like you can handle it. It is something to self-care. Self-care is a term I will say. I'm kind of cringing at hearing at this point. <laughs> but I will use it right now. I'm going to use it in the terms of self-love. I tell my clients when we do things like ask for help, that is self-love. We may not be taught that. We may, we may not have been told to do that, but asking for help is self-love. Taking a step to 
take care of yourself is a loving act. Not doing that is all based in fear. Fear of what could happen, fear of the pain, fear of what someone is gonna think, fear. Now here's the thing about love and fear. They cannot coexist in the same space. So if you want to feel love, have love in your life, start with giving it to yourself first because everything else that is fear-based will result in things that are fear-based. Everything that is based in love will result in things from love. If there's anything that anybody gets out of this today or beyond today, love yourself enough to take a chance and a risk for love of self. That is within your control. Do not wait for someone else to show you that. Show it to yourself by doing things that give you space to heal, to grow. Ultimate self and higher self and highest good of self cannot be seen if love is not involved. So that's my piece. Woo, y'all. My goodness. Okay, look, that's where we just have to end it because there's nothing else that could be said better. <laughs> we appreciate you. Thank you so much for sharing the work that you do with us and allowing us to be able to, you know, understand that there it doesn't have to be black and white. There is a maybe a middle, right? There's a piece that's in the middle that maybe has been missing from the system or whatever the case may be to make this process a little bit easier, a little less daunting and a lot more accessible. So again, we truly appreciate you. And for you gems, we will talk to you next time. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, you have a few options. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it, and you'll be notified as new episodes are uploaded. You can also leave a review or send me your feedback. Doing so helps me to create content that's relevant to what you want to hear about. And last, you can share the podcast with a friend. Whether it's directly or sharing it on your social media, it helps them to know that you think that this is information that they need to hear about. Thank you.